all kinds of symbology. What is at stake? It is a big idea. A new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. My question to you is, in any of your government jobs, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if you have, when was it? What were you told? Well, if I had been briefed on that, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it. When I got out in 1989, we had cataloged 57 different species. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. And we are live on Skywatchers Radio right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and, of course, PSN Radio. This is your host, Angel Espino and Alan Weiler. How are you doing, Alan? I'm doing great. I just got back this evening from my nice little trip to Texas. And if you ask me if I saw anything while I was driving, um, except for that beautiful, beautiful moon on the... You know, that's out there tonight on a zero-cloud sky. That's about it. That's all you saw, huh? That's all I saw. Very uneventful night. It's been kind of an uneventful 2014 so far, even though it's still early. We're only in January 14th, 2014. But it's been kind of uneventful when it comes to ufology. Not a whole lot of uh, news has come out. Of course, the big news uh, was the hoax of the crop circle that we've been talking about. I and called it. You did. Yeah, you did. You did. All right. But, but you know what? We I think everybody kind of you know saw that and I was like, eh, probably fake. Actually, I do think the uh, there was some interesting UFO news that did come out. I believe I sent you a link to it earlier today about a uh, couple in New Jersey that filmed two military planes seeming to be escorting a uh, triangle-shaped craft somewhere towards uh, one of the couple of Air Force bases that are in the north there. I saw that, and it really does look like a triangle craft. Now, it doesn't look, look like a flying saucer, but it is unidentified. Now, you know, a long time ago, of course, everybody knows the famous story that Art Bell spoke about on his show when, um, when he saw his sighting, and the, air, the craft that he saw was a triangular-shaped craft. This kind of has that same look of, as what Art described many, many yeah, years but ago. It- I'm looking at a picture on the internet right now, and I'm looking at the size of it. And the size of it would not be able to carry an engine big. and a person of conventional technology engine that we would be familiar with. Right. I mean, look. I mean, you see the photos. You see what airplanes are following it or escorting it, uh, one in front, one behind. And you know, yeah, that's a that's a one man little triangle, or it's a whole bunch of little ones. You know, I I don't know. It, here's the the crazy thing about this craft and the looks of it. Yeah, it looks very small. But remember, we're dealing if we're dealing with alien technology, we're going to be dealing with technology is probably you know at the at the microbe level. Let's be honest. I mean, their technology is going to be so much more advanced. And if this is something we back engineered, it would explain why they're escorting it away to make sure it goes wherever it has to go. You know, safely. So uh, it'll make perfect sense. Um. Okay. Fine. I'm not going to argue with you. 
Okay. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> interesting. Right. That that was an interesting one. One of uh, a few though. There hasn't really been a whole lot of uh, of newsworthy stuff. Of course, our friends over at Open Minds uh, keeps us informed all the time with stuff over there, and. Uh, we had on Alejandro Rojas just recently here on the show, and right. uh, now the news agency is claiming that Snowden uh, docs prove that aliens helped Hitler and currently controls the U.S. government. This is a report they put on there on Open Minds. I'm going to link it on our chat room, which, by the way, if anybody wants to uh, join the chat room, is over at www.psn-radio.com. You could also Skype in if you want to talk about the subjects we're talking about. If you want to you know, tell us uh, some newsworthy stuff that we missed, call in 786-245-8127 is the call-in number. Of course, you can find us through Skype by looking up PSN Radio in Dark Matter Radio Network. Uh, but this is uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Alan, I'm going to send it to you right now so you can check it out on the Skype here. Okay. Let's see. Looking for it. Waiting now, for it. Uh... An Iranian news agency alleged the documents provided for by former National Security Agency, NSA, as we know them, uh, contracted... Okay, hold on, hold on. i got to oh. stop it right there. Iranian... Iranians Iranian. are claiming... Iranians. Right. No, it's... It's actually pronounced Iranians. Well, whatever. They're actually claiming that someone from NSA actually gave them stuff. Right. That Snowden, wait a minute. I, I can't believe that even Snowden would provide something to, you know, almost everybody's mortal enemy. Well, it. I, I, I agree. Don't get me wrong. I agree 100% am, with you. Am I calling hoax yet? Uh, no, I'm You're, not you are hoax calling yet. hoax, but it's still look. Let, let me read it out. It says here, uh, they allege the documents provided by a former National Security Agency uh, contractor Edward Snowden prove that an alien extraterrestrial intelligence agenda is driving U.S. Uh, domestic and international policy, and has been doing so since the last, or at least since uh, last 1945, at least since uh, 1945. Uh, this is you know. 1945, 1947, the Roswell crash, right, right. around that era. I mean, let's be honest. We we know all this already. There's some kind of agenda or cover-up. Uh, did it come from Snowden? Well, that's the question. Is it a hoax? That's another question. I says here, the foreign news agency asserts that the shadow alien government running the United States is based in Nevada, Area 51, and uh, these aliens uh, previously ran Nazi Germany, the Washington Post reports, as proof that aliens were secretly behind the Nazis. The reports explain that Germany built hundreds of submarines towards the end of the war, far more than would have been possible with with mere human technology, especially at the time. Remember, this is back in the 30s and 40s. Uh, but the Post uh, continues, it does not explain why aliens with access to interstellar travel built subs that were so grossly incapable against the British Navy, or why all powerful extraterrestrials were unable to help the Nazis resist the invasion by Allied forces, which has always been my thing. If they had this technology, why did they lose the war? Something don't sound kosher with the article. You feel me? Like that's that's yeah. That's my whole thing with this whole Nazi alien connection that everybody tr- keeps trying to make in ufology now. Like well, this is the new thing, the alien Nazis. Okay, I still think I enjoyed the movie Iron Sky way too much. If anybody else has seen it, go ahead and comment on that thing where the that. Nazis. Yeah, it, it's the Nazis used some technology to go to the moon, and they've been hiding out there, and they show back up in 2020 to take over the world. It's actually a pretty. It, I mean. It was done as a schlock comedy, 
But honestly, it would have been a great premise to make that into a really good serious movie. Um, Actually, it sounds like a pretty kick-ass movie, to be honest. <laughs> you know, you know, the visual effects and everything were great. It's got Udo Kier in it. Um, the problem is, is that you know they they did it as a shticky movie, right. when it really, honest to God, could have been a great, great serious, hard-hitting serious movie. Now, you know, the crazy thing about this article, though, uh, Alan, not to uh, cut. You know, change the subject completely. But yeah, please go. Let's go back to the subject. I'm sorry. The crazy thing about this article is that you know this is not really giving us any information that we haven't all been you know conspiracy theorizing about for the last uh, thirty years. I mean, how many oh, no, times? No, no, no. This is proof. This is you know Edward Snowden. Apparently, Iran spoke to Edward Snowden, who's hiding out. Where is he hiding this week? Where in the world is uh, Edward Snowden? Exactly. Uh, he he specifically spoke to this Iranian uh, news agency only, and only to them apparently about this. Yeah, but look at the information he's given out. Like we don't already believe that there's some kind of a, of a cover up since the 1940s, and really like you know the whole Nazi thing again, when there is absolutely no proof that the Nazis had anything. Plus, not only that, if they would have had alien technology, they would not have lost the war. Period. True, but, then, there. but then again, uh, you know, we did inherit all the Nazi uh, scientists, and we incorporated them to America, and we brought them over, and that's the reason why we went to the moon, everybody. Thank you, because the Nazis, they well, made that happen. Know, we did have some American ingenuity. Werner von Braun only did so much. He He created the ideas to do it, but he didn't create all the technology and everything else that needed to get done. Yeah, that was the other Nazi Germany scientist that they brought over that actually oh, did the building. <laughs> oh, that's it. It's it's the other guy. Okay, right. That's exactly what it was. No, but look, honestly, uh, unless there's some tangible proof, that it, I mean, this is really a slow news week when this is uh, getting coverage, because really mm-hmm. they they haven't really said anything in there that we are not theorizing about, or conspiracy theories uh, have not been formed on already. True, you got a point there. You know what I mean? Uh, so again, yeah, it's doing a great job. Okay, where's the evidence? Don't just tell me that you know this happened. Don't just tell me that the aliens made some kind of a pact with the Nazis. Show me some proof. Show me the smoking gun. Where's the smoking gun? Um, CSI has it. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good answer. I can't really think of one. Because honestly, there really is no good answer. And look, and I love sky watching. I love the subject. But honestly, you know, there's very little credible evidence. Every time there's a report like this out there that comes out, it always comes out with, uh, yeah, it's a story. Somebody, uh, they, they said this in the news, they said that in the news, but they never come out with any real tangible evidence. True. You know, it's, like right. the whole, it's like the whole Bigfoot thing. Yeah, everybody uh, believes in Bigfoot, but why hasn't somebody shot Bigfoot yet? Well, they, you know, there was an article about that I saw up uh, the other week. The did guy who that? did, yeah, the guy who did the uh, massive hoax a couple of years back, right? Apparently yeah. has, yeah, I forgot the guy's name, but apparently he's now says he's shot and he's got a stuffed Bigfoot now. Right. So we should believe him, even though he lied to us before. Well, it's not that he lied. He was <laughs> he was misinforming the public. Right. There's a difference, apparently. Oh, okay. So there's there, I got you. Sorry, my bad. So there's a difference between misinforming <laughs> the public and actually lying. I right, yeah. Man, how did I make that mistake? Um, Jesus, I, I I just don't know. Um, wow, I'm just yeah. You know, one of, <laughs> one of my good friends uh, is really into the, the hollow earth theory, and we're going to have tonight somebody who's also a real big researcher in the hollow earth theory. Uh, Brooks Agnew is going to be with us later on in, in the next uh, segment. And uh, 
this is something that you know it really connects to what we're talking about here the whole nazi thing let's just let's just say for for a second here that the nazis really did develop some kind of alien technology they really might have had some kind of connection with the aliens and the united states really was taken over by nazis and let's just say any of that is true where okay. would they be hiding if they're still here usos and uh obviously in antarctica of course Correct. Didn't you see it? Didn't you see it in that rule book there of some type? Yes, that's probably where they were. Well, that or the moon, right? Beats the blankety blank 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 out of me. The Chinese will probably discover that if they're up there. But anyway, uh, it goes right. <laughs> it goes right into the subject. Actually, we're talking about tonight with Brooks about the Hollow Earth. The Hollow Earth is, you know, of course, a very popular theory in ufology. Uh, is there life within the Earth itself? Did we come from the Earth within the Earth? And uh, spread outwards. That's you know that's another theory. Uh, I'm fifty fifty on this, Alan. I mean, how, how do you feel about the whole hollow Earth theory? Um, I think there are too many stories to just ignore it. But I'd like to see a little bit more proof. Uh, you know, there's stories about you know the hollow Earth, and you know, then of course there's stories about people that have dug into some of the salt mines uh, across the world and they've ended up in caves and tunnels that they can't explain why they're there and they've heard things and possibly seen things um, of reptilian nature uh, you know I, I, I just don't know I mean sci- ground penetrating radar only goes so far and I don't know anybody who's gotten more than what what's the current record of um, about 20,000 or 40,000 feet deep only into the earth's crust and uh, you know and then they had to stop um that's that's about where we stand on it well i want to hear from people who are listening in tonight i want to know what they think of the hollow earth also because uh i I wonder if this is a a theory that is popular amongst you know sky watchers or ufologists or if it really is just more than a, a few people who actually believe this uh, I want you know. I want to hear from you, the audience. If you if you're interested in the Hollow Earth, definitely call in tonight, especially when we have Brooks on. I'm sure yeah, I got a comment on people. He's, he's going to want to you know hear your thoughts on the subject. Yeah. Go ahead, Alan. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting here, but I really got a comment. You know, we've asked people to call in multiple times, and we haven't had a single caller. So we're really, really, really asking people this week, call in. Let's yeah, hear call some. In. We want to hear someone's positive or negative views on this. Correct. This is Skywatchers Radio, and part of Skywatchers Radio is interacting with other fellow Skywatchers and, you know, people that are into the subject of ufology who want to one day maybe have disclosure really happen, who are really passionate about the subject. So that's you, the people listening. That's why you listen, because you're passionate about the subject. So call in. Be a part of the show. Uh, once again, the number is 786-245-8127. And, of course, you can look us up on Skype by looking up PSN Radio and if you want to go into the chat room, uh, we'll let, you know we'll take some chat room um, questions also. But we really would like to hear from you, really would. Yeah, we want to hear voices tonight. Come on, it'll be nice. Yes. <clears throat> now, and I coughed on air for the first time in about a year. Hooray! I'm not sniffling Yay! today. <laughs> no, you're not. That was me this time. Uh, let's see. There's another story that I got to you earlier today that I thought was really interesting. I want to get to. Let me pull it up here. I'm not prepared. Very Hang bad. on, which which topic are we going to go to? Uh, the Kepler planet uh, candidates. Have you seen this? Oh, where they're saying there's a whole stack of possible planets at this point? 
Yeah, this is crazy. Kepler uh, mission confirms the existence of 41 new planets. And uh, this was just this past weekend they confirmed this. Yeah, but uh, are they in the – how many are in the Goldilocks zone? Where it says here, uh, more than three-quarters of the planet uh, candidates discovered by NASA's Kepler spacecraft have a uh, size ranging from that of Earth to Neptune, which are, is nearly four times as big as the Earth. Such planets dominate the uh, uh, galactic senses, but not uh, represented in our own solar system. Astronomers don't know how do they form, or are they made of rock, water, or gas. It doesn't really say, I, I don't think, how many of them Dude, are per se you- in the Goldilocks zone. Well, I would think if they found the planets, they should be able to tell us if they're in that Goldilocks zone or not. You know not. how hard it is to measure that? If you could measure the size of the dang planet, you could figure out how far it is from the sun that it's orbiting to figure out if it's in the Goldilocks zone. So guess what? Yeah, it can't be that hard. Well, I don't see it on the urine. I don't remember reading it earlier, but uh, it's still the, the fact that they keep discovering planets like on a, on a regular basis, I mean, 40, 50 planets on a regular basis. Well, pretty interesting. Yeah, that it is. Uh, I I do find that really, really, really interesting. But you know what is crazy though? They have no mention here of the Goldilocks zone on any of these planets. But we mm. have found planets, and they have measured planets that are in that Goldilocks zone that you talk about. And of course, what is the Goldilocks zone? Well, that's the the zone that the Earth is to the Sun. The distance that you have to be to be able to have liquid water, which in turn, you know, science believes where there's water, there's life. That's the Goldilocks zone. Exactly. Well, hold on. You know, there's planets in our solar system that have water, but it's so sub-zero cold and frozen. Might not be life. Well, uh, here's the thing. Might be different kind of life. True, true. You got a point there. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're, that's, a, that's the crazy thing about uh, the subject is that everybody thinks of life as we know it. You know, carbon-based, humanoid, two arms, two legs, bipedal, uh, walking on all fours, you know, uh, talking on the phone. It hey, could be all on, kinds of different kind say, of lives. Hang on, hang on. Did you just say you're walking on all fours? Well, really, man? Some, sometimes, hey, it's fun. Um, what do you, when you're sky watching, um, you got to walk yeah. on all fours, you know? Just You got to kind of walk yeah, like a dog, then just lay back and look up. Yeah, I'm just not even going to go there now. No? Oh, well, whatever. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, it's a, there can be all kinds of different, like, like Europa. I saw this uh, movie a while back, uh, The Europa Project. Um, I don't know if you've seen this film. Great movie. Uh, that movie is, you know, very true to what life could be on a moon somewhere, like the moon of, you know, Europa, the moon. It, there could be some kind of aquatic being living there, some, maybe some aquatic life that's developed there over the last four billion years, you know? I mean, anything is possible. That's the crazy thing about life itself. And I think we're going to discover that more and more, that all kinds of different life exist across the universe. I don't think it's going to be just a human-looking life. Like, I don't really believe that we're going to discover that everything is like Star Trek, where everybody looks like a humanoid, two arms, two legs, you know. Well, if everybody does, I think that ultimate Star Trek episode that was out there where it turns out that um, most of the life was seeded by one parent race. Um, I don't know if you ever saw that one. Um, but uh, I would say that would be the most ultimate interesting ending to the whole story. be kind of boring, though, don't you think? No, I really don't think so, actually. It's a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. Be just a way. tad, just a tad boring. No, you know, I, I really would like, man, I would just like to see disclosure. I don't care how it happens, when it happens. I really want to see just what life out there looks like. I think that's... Uh, 
if there is one thing I want more than anything before I die is to see what life looks like on other planets. I mean, well, we've got this radio show here that we're doing. Um, the whole topic is is that you, we don't want to see them. You know, we don't want to see them out there. They're already here. That's right. what this show is all about. I'm starting to doubt there's life on this planet listening in because uh, if we keep giving out that phone number, you would expect somebody to call in <laughs> and join in on the banter that's going on here about UFOs. But so far, not one phone call. Very sad. Yeah. Who do we got to beat senseless to to call in? This that's what I got to figure out. That, that's a good question. You know, you know uh, pretty uh-huh. soon we are going to be moving to a little bit later uh, time in the time slot here. We're going to be moving to uh, one in the morning, and that's going to I think maybe light up the phone calls a little bit more. Um, are we taking money on that bet? Well, I would never bet money that you don't have. Wait, you do have money. Uh, that's right, folks. Donations can now be sent to me. Uh, so I have money. Uh, <laughs> please, people, send it to me. I need it desperately. Uh, put it, please. He's got money. Your money. money I don't have money. I, I don't have money. You know, I, 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 you know, what's the greatest nation in the world? You're a man of means. No, I'm not. Donation <laughs> is the best. Is the most best country in the world. Donation. Yes, it is. Anyway, we're about to go on <laughs> break here and maybe take some donations as we uh, pay some bills, and we have to pay them. So donate some to him, and uh, he'll pass it along. That's right, folks. Please <laughs> send me money. That's all I need is a little bit of money. But thanks to these sponsors, I won't need that much money. Anyway, we'll be back in a couple minutes with our guest, Brooks Agnew, and we will be talking about the hollow earth. Do your kids share a bedroom with a sibling? Is dorm room privacy a problem? Introducing Privacy Pop, a new way to create a private and comforting space on your bed. Privacy Pop is a bed tent that fits over twin, twin extra long, full, and queen beds. Privacy Pop is your ticket to seclusion in crowded sleeping quarters. Privacy Pop is the perfect holiday gift for the youngster who likes building forts and cramped college dorm rooms. Log on to privacypop.com and see how this unique sleeping system easily pops out from a small carrying case. Easy to store and simple to set up. Privacypop.com. That's privacypop.com. The perfect holiday gift for your grandchildren or your own kids who want a fun bed fort. Choose their favorite color. See this unique sleeping system now. Act now for a limited time offer. Use promo code RADIO in the checkout cart for free shipping. Log on to privacypop.com. Use promo code RADIO for free shipping. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954 That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. 
up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Here's a riddle for you. What do the California Gold Rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. everybody we're back on sky watchers radio this is the dark matter radio network and of course we're live on psn-radio.com and with us now is our guest of the evening mr brooks agnew who is joining us not from the hollow earth but maybe one day he will be brooks how you doing welcome to sky watchers my friend i am doing pretty well it's good to be in 2014 i'm kind of glad to leave 2013 behind how about you no kidding, man. Happy New Year, and uh, glad to have you on. 2013 was not the greatest of years. Hopefully 2014 brings us some good news, possibly disclosure, maybe just some acknowledgement that, you know, that this subject has a little bit of legit uh, information coming out. Uh, you know, what do you expect for 2014, especially with the work you do with the whole Hollow Earth theory? Well, that is a very good question. In light of news that we got, at the end of the Arctic summer, which occurred oh, sometime around September, uh, that ice was forming at a much more accelerated rate than it has uh, since 2007. 2007, as you know, the, the, the shelf opened up and uh, the Northwest Passage became navigable, right. which gave us hope that we could sail up to uh, the North Pole area and search for uh, the legendary opening. But uh, now we have a little over 325,000 square miles of ice, and it is, it is uh, growing at a rate that we haven't really seen since about 1998. So, uh, <laughs> so much of that global warming stuff, huh? Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if the planet has warmed much more uh, since 94 or 95, but the extremes between winter and summer have 
definitely become pronounced. We're breaking thousands of heat records in the same year we're breaking thousands of cold records. True, yeah. And so, you know, the global warming climate change critics say, oh, well, the Earth's temperature isn't, isn't changing. The average temperature isn't, you know, a tenth of a degree off from where it was 100 years ago. Probably statistically true, but the extremes between summer and winter are what is making the planet uninhabitable, and not only for people, but also for plants. Right, yeah, which is a major uh, issue down here in Florida. Yeah. In a lot of parts of the south of the country, yeah. You go to Orlando, you know, you need to find a mall during the day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends what time of year. You go further south, and you're really in, in, in well, bad shape. Yeah, but further south, you know, there's dangerous marine life you can look at. But in in Orlando, you know, it's just hot. Yeah, that's true. Again, I still say that all depends on the time of year. Yeah, you're right. You're right. February, March, uh, Florida I mean, is awesome. I, I, I'm an hour outside of Orlando, and we've got a cold spell right now. I mean, it's terrible. It's gotten down to 62. I mean, it, it, it's really freezing. <laughs> know, you almost have to put the top up on your convertible. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a, a funny banner somebody sent me on Facebook the other day. It said, I survived the winter of Florida 20, 2014, and it had like the two days that was cold. January 6th and the 7th. That's a, that's very accurate, though. It really does not get cold down here. But it's funny because when I was a kid, I do remember having winter down here in, in Miami, and it was always two or three weeks of winter, and we, it would get really cold. Now it's like two days. Yeah. Maybe yeah. three if well, we're lucky. So, yeah, there is definitely a change. But, you know, isn't that part of, like, the evolution of the planet itself? I mean, this planet has gone through several cycles over, like, 4.5 billion years, has it not? Well, yes, you know, in 4.5 billion years, the morf- the morphology. Nah, of the- who's counting? Who's counting? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, the, the morphology of the planet is changing. Uh, the the way the tectonic plates, the way the continents have moved around and arranged themselves on the surface, it it is pretty clear from core drillings that we've done on the ocean floor and lots and lots and lots on dry land that the ocean floor is vastly different geological age than the dry land. It appears uh, to support the theory that Earth has changed its diameter uh, in those, you know, four and a half billion years Uh, and probably changed diameter like in the last uh, 500 million years or 600 million years. So that means that if the planet is changing diameter then that must mean there's a void between the solid core of the Earth and the, you know, thick crust of the Earth. Right. It's expanding. It's getting bigger. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know... Well, we, I don't know. Is it contracting at all? Have, have they measured contractions or it's always expanding? It, it has always been expanding. And, and there are places on the Earth where, like the Pacific Rim, or the, the Rim of Fire, they call it, the crust is still you know, moving and undulating because of tidal gravity from the moon and gravitational waves that come, you know, from the center of the galaxy through and affect all the planets. And and Earth responds to that by, by literally changing shape. And uh, when it changes shape, it puts a lot of stress on the crust and the crust will crack open and fill in with magma, which is under pressure in the center of the crust. And that, that, you know, makes the diameter of the of the world change. And if you look at 
you know, the, the evidence, the assumptions would be, well, gee, okay, let's say the Earth was at some time 3,000 miles in diameter instead of 7,100 miles in diameter. Well, that would mean that the entire Earth would be covered with water, except the very tallest mountains. And that would mean that right. there were sedimentary layers and all the ancient mountain ranges that would contain stuff like seashells and ancient sea life. Well, isn't that what we see in the mountains? That didn't occur from a flood. Right. That, that occurred from you know millions and millions of years of being underwater. Right. And then as the dry land appeared, because the earth gets larger in diameter, we have a fixed amount of water on it, the water receded into what we call seas, which are just basically giant valleys you know, that opened up. The tallest right. mountain in the world is probably Hawaii. Huh. That's but they just true. live yeah. on the top of it. Yeah. This explains uh, a lot. Actually, this explains the, the continents moving apart over the millennia that uh, uh, this planet's been around. Uh, isn't this, doesn't this, I mean, there's a theory, the ever-growing Earth theory, that uh, just it will keep expanding and expanding, right? There's a theory on this. Yeah, well, and obviously the rate of expansion has greatly slowed down because right. due to the conservation of momentum just by itself, as as the ice skater, you know, throws her arms out, she's going to slow down. Same right. with planets. Uh, it's the same energy. It's just rotating at a slower speed. So it's interesting, though, when we talk about planetary core geology on the university level. And, and you know, I've spoken to people at Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Washington University, uh, and also uh, Washington State University. And it's interesting to hear uh, on the professor level and the associate professor level, people that are exploring uh, not only plate tectonics, but also actual planetary core geology, which obviously we can't go there. So we, we just measure frequencies and radiations that come out of the center of the Earth, and we make assumptions based on that. And the, the latest uh, come from an experiment that was run in Japan, actually, where they crushed carbon in what's called a, um, a diamond anvil vice. They were able to achieve pressures and temperatures equivalent to what we think are uh, on the forces that affect the core of the Earth. And what hmm. we found was that the core is probably extremely high iron content. and It may, in fact, be crystalline iron. And it may be at what was believed to be about... Uh, four years ago to be 5,000 degrees centigrade, but uh, with this recent test, they have confirmed that the core is actually at 6,000 degrees C, which is the same temperature as the sun. So it's, it's uh, very interesting what this very, very latest planetary physics, geophysics, is revealing. It reveals that the support for the idea that we live on, you know, tectonic plates floating around on a molten planet like cornflakes in a bowl of milk is a bunch of hogwash. Hmm. Yeah, but wouldn't the cornflakes be actually flat? Uh, well, unless they were crispy flakes, you know, then they don't get soggy in milk. But <laughs> with cinnamon. Okay, no, no, but I'm saying if you have a whole bowl full of flakes, they're all cr they're all twisted and turned in different directions, and you'd have a jagged thing like we'd be on an asteroid. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, they must all be flat in that. Well, the, the Earth other. is not really flat. We we make it flatter. We build roads on it, but there's a lot of mountains and hills and all kinds of 
things on the Earth itself. So it's not really flat land. When you well, think about actually, it. only only Texas is flat. Uh, That's true. This is round, but I just drove <laughs> through it. I I actually did go through go past one hill. So <laughs> you could see Amarillo from like you know Arkansas. It's it's but the point don't mess is, with Texas. <laughs> oh, you, the stories I could tell you for a whole day, a whole day to drive across it. I could tell you some fun, funny stories from this past weekend uh, as I was demonstrating a product at the show. Um, I, the best answer I had there is like, they ain't going to try and steal that from me. You know why? We always shoot first and we don't ask questions after. Like I said, any hate mail you want to send, please send it to Alan Weiler, and you could do that at alanweiler at gmail.com. <laughs> Do not address that to the Dark Matter Radio Network, PSN Radio, or myself, Angel Espino, or our guest, Brooks Agnew, who would love to take your phone calls if you guys are listening in. And I know there's a lot of people listening in right now. Please call in and ask your questions. 786-245-8127. We're live with Brooks Agnew talking about the hollow earth and trying to get away from the comments just made by my co-host. What, what, what? Exactly. (laughs) I'm innocent, I swear. Uh, crazy. You know, it, it's funny though, Brooks, uh, moving away from uh, everything that Alan was just talking about here, uh, going back to what we were talking about previously, this uh, you know, this molten uh, center, this almost like, it's, if it's hot as the sun, this, doesn't this really correlate exactly with what the hollow earth theory is, that there is a sun in the center of the planet? It, it, it you know, it could, except we're not talking about a, a fusion body here. We're not talking right. about turning hydrogen into helium here. What we're talking about is an iron crystal that's under such incredible pressure that it can exist at that temperature without being molten. It's actually solid. And the reason they they know this is because of the frequencies that are coming off that core. They're measuring them with a spectrometer. The the other uh, misnomer that a lot of people have is that the crust is some you know thin kind of bubble that surrounds that, and it isn't. The crust is probably eight to nine hundred miles. Wow, which still leaves a good thousand miles between what we would consider the inside of that crust and the surface of the core. Now, if you just think about this and compare it to what we know about cosmology, we have a usable atmosphere on Earth of about 12 miles. Above that, it's, you know, it's not even where airplanes can fly. Right. It's considered low orbit, you know, be of that, above 15 miles. We're talking about 1,000 to maybe 1,100 miles of air, no vacuum. That's a completely different filter for that kind of light and that kind of heat to reach the inner crust. So even though it's only 1,000 miles away, it isn't like 93 million miles of space where there's nothing to block that infrared radiation from reaching the planet. Hmm. Now, wouldn't that completely just kill the hollow Earth theory then? I mean, I'm, I, you know, it, honestly, I don't believe so much in the hollow Earth theory, but I do think there is areas within the Earth that there could be pockets of, uh, of civilizations that could survive within Habitation, the Habitation, life, yeah, habit- I mean, yeah. Right. There's all well, sorts of, undis- you know, they, people do cave diving and, Right. Uh, they're finding things that they thought have been extinct for millennia. Yeah, but you know, even the deepest hole that you can imagine, which I think the Russians have drilled now, one forty thousand. Yeah, it's about eight point, I believe, eight point two miles. This is this is a fingernail scratch 
compared to how thick the crust is. Correct. We're not even really seeing the gravitational anomalies that Newton theorized, even if you could resolve his, uh, you know, what are called the thick crust uh, physics is mathematics because a thin crust is pretty easy, pretty straightforward. It's theoretical, but uh, it's pretty straightforward. Inside the planet, there's no gravity because... The gravity of one side, you know, cancels out the gravity of the other side. But his thick shell physics is, is just an extrapolation of multiple thin shell physics formulas. They're just stacked. But they've never been proven. And the gravity at the end of an eight-mile, you know, tube of steel that you're rotating to drill a hole. And by the way, this takes tribology to brand new levels because you have to lubricate that drill or you just twist that steel in two several times and hmm. which they have done so uh <clears throat> it is it is not showing up that steel's just as heavy as when it's up on that trailer before they lower it in the hole right they know because they're, they're weighing it because they hang it from a transducer so they know the stress on that steel it can actually get so high that it can stretch and break the steel just from its own weight Brooks, question: How long would it take to actually reach uh, the center or the core? With, I mean, with technology today. Well, that—that's a fantastic question. Uh, there are stories that we have read and that are highly popularized. Uh, one is that uh, an individual walked into the inner earth from right. Mammoth Cave, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. We went to Mammoth Cave, Kentucky. This, this is a, a book called Edidorpha, which is Aphrodite spelled backwards. If you, I've been to Mammoth Cave several times. I've spoken to the experts that work there. Some of them are second-generation uh, spelunkers that have worked that cave. And the deepest section of that cave that you can squeeze a body into is about 365 feet, which when you go there is a long way underground. Right. But, but it's nowhere near even one mile, let alone, you know, 900 miles. Right. But let's just think that maybe it's a pretty steep cavern and maybe you could walk in. Maybe. Maybe not 90 degrees, but let's say you could manage 30 degrees. It would still take you about nine months if you didn't stop walking to reach the center, just to reach wow. the, the crest. Brooks, you, let me stop you real quick. We have a caller who just uh, joined in and wants to uh, ask a question. Caller, uh, you're on the air with Brooks Agnew on Skywatchers Radio. This is Dark Matter Radio Network. Uh, you're live. What's your name? Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Jason, and I'm in uh, North Carolina. Listening to you hey, guys Jason. over the Internet on the TuneIn app. Oh, nice. Jason, is that you outside my window? Is that, Are you on the car? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm driving north from Salisbury to Greensboro. Very nice. <laughs> You're not far. And uh, speaking of the hollow earth uh, uh, theory, I'm, I'm basically conversant in it. And wasn't Sir Edmund Hillary, uh, didn't he claim to have discovered a hole in the Arctic that led to the hollow earth? Good question. Uh, there was there were several. There was Marshall uh, Gardner who actually patented the Hollow Earth idea in uh, the early '60s. He ended up. I'm sorry. Dying. Could that actually be patented? Yes. Is yeah. He actually filed a patent on it in the early '60s, and he died of pneumonia in '65, trying to find the opening. Uh, Sir Edmund Haley was the first to draw it up in 1629, and it was 
actually the reason, the reason why the Smithsonian Institute was founded was to contain all the hollow earth evidence. That's the reason why that museum was founded. Of course, it's much bigger than that now. But there are uh, lots of people who have, you know, tried expeditions up there with, you know, uh, uh, snow sleds and airplanes, and we know in, in 1926 uh, uh, Admiral Byrd flew over it, and then in 1929 flew right. over the South Pole, and then he flew again over the North Pole, but uh, and he did it at 2,500 feet, which you can't do today. No one will fly at that altitude. You have to fly. The lowest we've been able to charter anything, and we never flew it, was 17,000 feet. That's as low as they'll fly. And why is that? Is there a particular reason? It, it's well, it's not only FAA regulations, but you can't see. It's called scud running because ah. it's constantly covered with cloud cover that usually hangs around twenty thousand feet, and uh, you you just don't want to fly in clouds in area where you you can become disoriented. You want to have some IFR or some VFR kind of control over your plane. Makes sense, uh, Jason. You have any other uh, questions for Brooks? Um, that's all I can think of right now, other than uh, I, I wanted to uh, thank you guys for doing the show and for uh, I'm glad that there's something out there to listen to other than what else is out there to listen to. Amen so, to thank that. You and, Thanks I'm for sorry listening. I didn't answer your question directly because <laughs> I didn't want to fake it. I'm not really familiar with his study, so I, I apologize for that. No worries. And keep you guys uh, keep up the good work, and hopefully more people call in. Thank you. Keep calling in. Uh, we appreciate the uh, support, man. Keep listening no to Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Very important. Both networks. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that is a good question, though, that, that uh, he posed. But uh, it, it's interesting. Let me, let me switch this to ufology a little bit. Um, do you think, you know, we talked about earlier about the story of the Nazis uh, possibly having uh, UFOs and, and uh, them uh, being in control of the government here in the United States, uh, which anything's possible. Hey, you know, there's a lot of conspiracies out there. Anything is possible. Uh, there's also the conspiracy that the Nazis escaped into the hollow earth. Uh, do you think there's any any truth at all to any of that uh, talk that's come out? Well, you know, I, I try to approach this whole subject as an open scientist, and uh, <clears throat> honestly, I don't throw out any ideas unless, you know, it's something like channeling, which I've, I've certainly run into a lot of that, but I just... I just have to mark it down as personal experience. I, I just can't take it as fact yet. Um, and so I'm open-minded to it, but I will say as a scientist, uh, and I have degrees in, in biology and chemistry, and I've seen you know bacteria grow in places where there is no way, like inside of fuel tanks, uh, I would say that if there is space between the crust and the core, there's absolutely life there. Hmm. Whether it's microbial or more complex, I'm open-minded. But the Nazis, the stories of the Nazis uh, retreating into the inner earth after the war are just as feasible as the ten tribes retreating into the earth, as a Cain retreating into the earth. And if you read uh, the scriptures in Genesis... That's exactly what it says, but right. uh, <clears throat> I also uh, have weathered the slings and arrows of my more conservative colleagues who have uh, squeezed me out of, shall we say, the mainstream, 
uh, because I do make an opening in you know my personality or my my thinking for that possibility, and I'm I'm going to stand by it because I'm a scientist and darn it I'm not going to throw any data out until I can prove it. It, it, it and you know the funny thing about the uh, the report that we read earlier. Uh, is that that theory really is getting more and more popular over the last uh, five years, five, ten years, uh, which, you know, where there's smoke, usually there's fire. There, there could be, a, you know, truth. Like I said, anything is possible, right? It, it, it could be some truth to it. But wouldn't that be interesting if that's, uh, which would go with the whole Roswell crash, if the Roswell crash was a result of something that the Nazis were cooking up, wouldn't that be interesting if that is what turns out to be Roswell and it wasn't really so much extraterrestrial but something the Nazis had built and we were working on with the Nazis? All great questions, but and I have to say the fire, you know, has been burning, wow. you know, pretty brightly for five, maybe six years. I, I joined the team in two thousand, uh, early two thousand six, and by uh, you know two thousand seven, it had kind of taken on a life of its own. And I'm not sure if the fire is caused by the friction that we've been pouring into it by lecturing and touring and you know writing books and doing you know short films right whether it's just because we keep fanning it all the time but the point is that you are exactly right there are tens of millions of people who feel uh just like uh jason who just called from north carolina a very powerful affinity with this subject matter and i honestly cannot explain it but i find it phenomenal I think people are tired of the real estate bubble that burst here, and they're looking for other places to move to. Well, well, mankind has always done that. You know, yeah. when, when things become unbearable, we always go for the wilderness. But, Mars. That's the next big one, Mars. Yeah, we've, we, we've run out of wilderness. And, you know, we, let's just call it Christian people, we're, we're a cheek-turning people. We're, <laughs> we, um, we don't... If it gets rough, you know, we just pack our stuff, get on wooden ships, sail across the Atlantic, and, uh, you know, we'll take our chances with the mosquitoes. But we've run out of that space. At least ways we've, we've figured out how to make men live in close proximity to aluminum wires that we stretch on towers uh, around the planet. And we don't let anybody live where there isn't any of that electricity. And so 90% of our population lives within, what, 25 miles of a coast? It's ridiculous, but yep. that, that's the way it is. We, there is no wilderness, the point is. So at some point, we as, let's just call ourselves earthlings, have to stop running. And we have to turn around and face those who are, who are trying to oppress the world and s squeeze every drop of life out of us for their luxury. And we've got to say enough is enough. Here's actually something that goes along with squeezing the life out of all of us and squeezing the life out of the planet itself. You know, with the resources the way they are, Brooks, and uh, oil being, the, of course, the, the number one resource on the planet when it comes to uh, cars and whatever, you know, the resources that we're using up at, at an alarming rate. Do you think it will get to a point where the Earth is really going to start feeling the loss of all the the, the oil that we're digging out of the uh, the grounds? Because at some point, I mean, that's like, I mean, it's a resource. We don't know exactly if it's something that the Earth needs to have there, you know, for it to be at a, at a normal cycle or if it's going to really hurt it in the long run. I mean, we really don't know what we're doing with all the drilling and everything. And I mean, that could have a, a terrible impact on this planet. You think? And, our, and my other question, 
adding on to that, by the way, do we really, really still believe that oil is from leftover dinosaurs? I mean, oh, really? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't you know, believe that, that You know, that's <laughs> – and and does – do these – well, one thing I have noticed about when it comes to drilling, like people that have drilled down and basically sucked dry a well, they come back 30, 40 years later, and there's oil in there again. So is it a self-replenishing thing? And no. let me ask – Mm-hmm. Is it self self replenishing over a extreme period of time? Um, and here's another question for you: um, How do you think fracking would affect the Hollow Earth? Well, how much time do we have? I'm showing six minutes before the hour. I can't possibly <laughs> answer this question. Well, like we that. have another hour after this uh, six minutes, so we're good. All right. Well, you let's can start now. Up. Let me set it up because because you ask a really really good question. Which one? Uh, it, it is not. The the idea that mm-hmm. oil is, you know, the most important resource on the earth, it, it most certainly is not. I mean, f- fuel for automobiles and trains was not oil in the beginning. It was right. completely renewable. It was vegetable oil and it was alcohol. Correct. And mm-hmm. the byproduct from that was just pure, clean carbon dioxide, which the plants reuse, and water. And that was it. It wasn't until Prohibition when the uh, monopolists, I'll call them, uh, decided that uh, we're going to make it illegal to make alcohol and you are going to convert your vehicles uh, to petroleum. Now, at the end of the day, here we are in the 21st century, it costs us about, you know, for a truck to take you and four of your friends and 500 pounds of freight, about 17 cents a mile. That's really not that expensive. If you go to China and you go to a rickshaw driver and you say, I want you to take me and four of my friends one mile for 17 cents, you're going to be laughed off the street. It's a pretty cheap fuel, but it is not necessarily a smart fuel for all kinds of driving. There are other good fuels. There is electricity, which is a wonderful fuel. It was used in the big cities for half a century before oil, you know, took over in diesel fumes and, you know, choked our cities in, in clouds of pollution. But it's all in the name of an almighty dollar, right? We are a petro-driven planet, and we have been for pretty close to 100 years. It's stupid. It's scientifically stupid, but it's economically, you know, has been brilliant for a half a dozen companies and a few major families. Right. In that respect, I'm not pointing I th- those out. No, no naming names there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I will say that uh, <clears throat> without naming names, they're still the same German families. It's just that they use their first name and they put a title in front of it, like mm. Sir right. or Queen. They're still Germans. They just don't use their German last name, okay? Right. Uh, same, same, you know party on the left is now the party on the right. What can I say? Right, right, right. Uh, the who had it right, exactly. So the point is that this is the control of the planet. This is, this is the, the domination. Without weapons, we just use fuel. But um, the earth is going to have an allergic reaction. The rash is already showing up. We can see it in the ice. We can see it in the species that die every year by the thousands forever. They're gone. We can see it in the ocean floor. If you do scuba diving like I do, you'll, you'll see the effects of pollution. 
It's affecting the genetics, not only of humans, but of all animals on the face of the earth. And it's Correct. stupid. Yeah. We've only been doing it for 100 years, and we've already irrevocably changed the entire planet. Now, wouldn't you agree, though, that a lot of, of that would have happened probably anyway, a lot of the species dying? Because species die all the time, and then they're reborn. You know, different species are found or born or whatever. Uh, but it, that's part of the evolutionary part or cycle of this planet, isn't it? Well, it is just because we have changes in the environment. Some of them are natural, and some of them are not natural. And I'm going to say that the ones that mankind uh, imposes upon the Earth are not natural. It right. isn't natural for man to say, oh, well, that species had its chance, you know, so we're going to live here now. Right, right. Well, it's funny because that's exactly what we kind of do. Ask uh, the Native Americans. Well, it's okay <laughs> to out. mow the grass. <laughs> it's okay to mow the grass, but you don't dig it up and burn it. That's um, true. You know, yeah. the, planet, the planet is a never-ending source of of bounty that we should live within the balance of. You got to admit, though, it is uh, funny how you know we're using this planet's resources and we're working, you know, living on this planet. And there's so many people already like waiting and willing and on board to move to like Mars and try to colonize another planet. How about trying to make this planet, you know, perfect first and yeah, I work on our problems you. here. I you defy know what I mean? you to travel 25 light years in any direction you choose and find a planet that has liquid water on the surface. Right. Well, we don't know of any yet. But then again, you know, our technology still is so primitive, you know, considering the type of uh, work that they're doing at NASA and a lot of these places uh, looking for life out there. You know, they, they find planets all the time, and some of them are in the Goldilocks zone, but they really don't have the technology to see up close and see if there's anything coming in out of that planet uh, well, life-wise. There's certain things we could do, we could kind of tell, but they really haven't found anything yet, so... That that's true and 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 not true. We find planets in the Goldilocks zone; it's the right, right temperature, but they're six or seven times the mass of this planet. We could never survive on it. We'd have to have an exoskeleton to walk around. Hmm. I mean, Which you're not going to be able to walk around too well if you weigh fifteen hundred pounds. Right. Yeah, that's true. Well, that will go with any planet in our, even our solar system. Sure. We could take yeah. low gravity pretty well for a generation or two, but then we're not coming back here. Right. Well, yeah. well that's why they say the trip to Mars is a one-way trip. It is, because it's yeah. a little over a quarter, you know, the gravity of Earth. It doesn't have a solid core, so there's no magnetosphere. Right. You're not protected from solar flares. It's about, uh, eh, you know, minus 2 degrees C on a good day and about minus 80 degrees C on a winter, and it has the same atmosphere as Mount Everest. Could we live there? Uh, yeah. We'd have Not to have comfortably. And- no, no. I wonder what kind of effect that would have on the human body, though, to live in that kind of environment for a prolonged period of time. Well, I mean, I, I went to Everest, and I made it to 18,500 feet for a week, and, um, you know, four of our crew got... Uh, you know, edema, altitude sickness, couldn't go the rest of the way. And our guide said, if all of you don't go, none of you go. So, you know, we were 5,000 feet from the top or, or the plateau where we wanted to go, 23,000 feet base camp. And you go all the way to 8444, which is 8,444 meters. That's a long way up, pretty close to 29,000 feet. <clears throat> and it, it does kill people. 
But uh, it, you know, it's livable. Eighteen thousand five hundred feet after after five or six days, you can take it pretty easily. Huh. Hmm. I don't think that was possible. Then, well, I guess you're on Earth, yeah. But I mean, I'm still on Mars. It's a completely different, you know, animal. Well, it's true. Not as much nitrogen. Uh, we don't. Right. There's no argon in the atmosphere at all. No oxygen. There's, there's a lot of. Well, it's the same oxygen content. But what you're going to have to do is live inside the planet, which is right. what I think most beings do on most worlds. Wouldn't that, that's an interesting uh, thing right there? Wouldn't it be funny if that's how planets? are terraformed, and we're just uh, right now following the footsteps of beings that did it four billion years ago, or a few billion years ago, when the Earth looked like Mars. And it just takes a long time for that society to build up and then go to the next planet down the road and, and do the same thing. And we're the inhabitants of a society that did that already. Well, I'm of the school of thought that we did not crawl forth from primordial ooze. No. <laughs> we, we came from somewhere. That's a, you know, and that actually brings us to a different topic altogether. Uh, how are you with when it comes to the ancient alien theory? Well, I think if there are no other intelligent life, our level or better in the universe, to, to, to quote a phrase from the movie Contact, it would be an awful waste of space. And it'd be very boring, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, and the kind of, you know, spirits that we are, we are really eternal beings having a mortal experience most people know that some people have faith in it and you know even more people are going to be shocked when they find out the truth but uh <laughs> we're not about boredom you know we come here you know for a mortal life for the challenge and uh, we're at the point i think in in at least human development that some of us really didn't have to come here we could have we were finished uh some have a long way to go they're still young and they're violent and they're jealous and they can't control their passions never could even by force they have a hard time controlling it but uh, some of us naturally live within that uh, bio balance and we're loving caring charitable merciful people and and we have been for millions of years yeah, not enough of us are that way, though. That's the problem. No. So, do you believe then in uh, reincarnation? Is that something that you're a believer of? Well, I would say certain definitions of it. I think that uh, mortal existences uh, are self-evident. It's mm. replete in the scriptures. Uh, it's replete in every you know ancient tradition. I'll call them not even religions. But if you search your own heart, you know that you didn't just blink into existence, you know, when the sperm met the egg. You have existed a long, long time before you got here. Yeah, we had a little help along the way. <laughs> but the, definitely the sperm and the egg helped also. Yeah, now how many times <laughs> you're born on this planet or other planets or what you bring with you, that's a matter of, you know, your own soul searching. I'm not going to preach there. Yeah, no, that's a completely different show altogether. <laughs> it really is. So, I mean, what are you going to be working on in 2014 now? Um, is there another book on the way, or is there anything you are going to be promoting uh, nearly here in, in, the, in the new year? Any other events you're going to be coming out to? Uh, anything like that as well? Well, let me start with the last one first. Yes, uh, I am working on a series. Uh, we started working on it with National Geographic, but the crew 
that with whom we were working has now moved to the Discovery Channel. And we met with them several years ago and talked to them about this story and about our evidence and the team. And at that time, Discovery Channel and, and, and cable as a whole kind of had a, a monopoly on it. Now with satellite TV, not just being in the rural areas, but also being in the city areas, it's really changed the, the entertainment dynamic, let's put it that way. And Discovery Channel has, and History Channel, they're, they're not the same organization, but the same genre, pretty much. They've kind of come out on top. And they're doing a really good job at reselling their time. So it's a possibility that now is the time for that series to come out. So we are working on that. Uh, and it's, it's not, you know, for entertainment, although it says that on the website, we do that <laughs> for, for other reasons. Um, it is it is for education. It's for enlightenment. And we ran a pilot in 2007. We entered a contest that Nippon Television Network, Network was running in in uh, Japan, and it was a contest. And they were comparing hypotheses. It was called the Genes of Galileo contest. And we entered that, and we won with our pilot uh, film on inner Earth theory. And we had 17 million viewers in one night. We took a nine and a half share wow. on the most popular TV channel in Japan. We had uh, uh, globally, we had 40 million viewers. So this subject is very, very popular. And um, we worked very hard, and I spent a lot of money over the last six years to make it even more uh, popular, make people more aware of it. Uh, we have sold nothing. We've made no money back. It's all been an investment in awareness, and I don't feel cheated whatsoever. I feel like a, we've done great work, and I'm proud of the science that we we purported. Uh, and the guys that went down to the Antarctic, my hat's off to them. A little misguided, uh, but you know who would have thought in the Antarctic summer that they would get trapped behind 20 miles of ice? <laughs> uh, you know, it's... <laughs> But And we still don't know what their real mission was because they never really did say. May, they might have said, but the media may have never covered it. They might not cover ours either, except we're going to be streaming to a satellite if and when we ever go. The other thing, uh, yes, I am working on a book. Uh, I, we've, I finished my uh, sixth book uh, in 2011. It was called Alienated Nation. It was about um, what's <laughs> nice. happening to, to government. And it calls for a constitutional convention, which we did in July of 2011. Mm -hmm. It went to number one on Amazon in two different areas, government and politics. And then a year later, uh, Mark Levin came out with a similar book called The uh, Liberty Amendments. And it has, both books have really uh, pounded the headlines uh, for the last, oh, I'd say nine or ten months. And there are now 40 governors who have not only passed sovereignty acts, but they have met in, uh, in Washington, actually in Virginia, uh, about two months ago, and they are trying to put together the structure so that, that the convention doesn't get crazy because a state-run Article 5 convention has never been tried before, and it needs to be done or we're going to lose the republic and, and maybe the planet. So that book went out, and, and now I'm working on a book which my daughter asked me to write a couple of years ago, and I, I didn't get started on it, <clears throat> which is, you know, it's basically an autobiography. So I don't know if it's going to be interesting to anybody, but uh, I've done a lot of 
crazy stuff and a lot of great projects. And I'm going to try and put it all into one big story and see what goes. And I just finished a screenplay called Birth. Mm. And that's spelled B-E-A-R-T-H. It's a play on words. And it's about uh, the, the union of the polarity that I spoke about or wrote about in the Ark of Millions of Years. And uh, it's, it is, uh, it's a white-knuckle ride from one end to the other. Uh, we won a screenplay contest at Berkeley, and we have one director and two producers looking at it right now. Very cool. So next That's time you're, you're on the show, we may be uh, you know, promoting a film. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big screen movie, so it's hard to get that kind of stuff funded. There's a lot of CG in it, yep. uh, a lot of powerful acting, tons of chase scenes, airplane, boats, cars, motorcycles, electric cars. And that brings me to my last... Oh, electric cars. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, we, you know, I, as the CEO of Vision Motor Cars, which has just sold to another company, we're, we're now getting ready to go into production with the mm-hmm. nation's first highway-speed electric truck. And it's a fast truck. We are, we are going to be uh, challenging the top three production cars, the fastest race cars or production cars in the United States in a four-wide drag race live on ESPN. And our really? electric truck will leave them so far in the dust, they'll think their cars broke. Well, I don't know about that. I was at the PRI show in December, and I saw some really, really interesting uh, engine modifications for truck racing, to say the least. Um, Well, we're talking about off-the-showroom vehicles, not modified vehicles. This is a stock truck. By the way, have you seen since it's since you're dealing with electric? Have you seen these? This came out at the auto show in Detroit. These wind turbines that you can attach to your electric vehicles, either on the roof or on the sides, that actually will generate energy to continuously charge the car as long as you're going faster than 20 miles an hour. Oh my goodness! I the first time I saw that was in I think 1966. And then in 1993, when electric cars started coming out again, a guy put like four or five of those on a convertible. <clears throat> the problem is uh, that in order to, for the windmill to work, it has to drag against the air, which slows the vehicle down. You lose energy. You actually lose miles by using the windmill. The, and believe me, we've, we've done years and years and years of testing of electric vehicles and we get more miles out of a battery than just about anybody because we've tried all that stuff. And we found the way to resist the movement of the vehicle the least. Okay. Obviously, you can't talk about that, can you? Well, it's like dragging a parachute behind you. Yeah, it'll, it'll generate force, but you've got to slow the car down because right. of the parachute. You know, the, the, what we've done is we've, we've gone the whole gamut. We've gone from DC to AC. We've done water-cooled, air-cooled. We've done single-speed, multi-speed, automatics, manuals. And what we have is affordable. It's a you know, $35,000 truck that you can run for about a nickel a mile. How soon can I get one? Wow. They sh- the first three are coming out of our uh, new plant in North Carolina in April. We will be at the North American Fleet Association trade show in Minneapolis in April with it. Okay, Brooks, I need to talk to you about this offline when you <laughs> sure. have a chance. Um, 
Angel knows that I travel on average about fifty to 60,000 miles each yep. year driving, doing conventions and trade shows. Mm-hmm. And um, I might be able to promote the craziness out of your vehicle, <laughs> to say the least, and getting it from show to show across the country. And Well, we could talk about it offline if this might be interesting to you because the events that I go to usually have, oh, forty to 50,000 attendees on average. Well, the truck is being offered to uh, Atlas Shrugged 3. I don't know if you know the story of Atlas I've Shrugged. watched both movies. Did they, <laughs> finally, did they get the Kickstarter funding done for uh, Part 3? No, it, the Kickstarter funding didn't work, but there were, the fundings, funds came from other places. Uh, and Movie 2 actually did really well, uh, not only in the theaters, but also the, the buying of the, of the movie on DVD. Movie 1 really didn't have a good advertising budget, even though it was pretty well done. The third movie is really uh, going to be amazing. Uh, we, we, you know, your audience knows who John Galt is, a fictional character created by Ayn Rand in the mid-60s when she wrote the book Atlas Shrugged. It's a big, thick book that basically tells the story of how government suppresses advanced energy technology so that it can control all the steel, advanced materials, and energy in the last days. I mean, what a ridiculous concept to come up with. You're right, but unfortunately it is the last days. That's the problem. (laughs) And what John Galt did is he would go sequester all of that advanced technology and take it to his gulch, his his secret kind of community, which is off-grid. Right. And over the years, you know, because we've, we've been building electric vehicles since 2006, um, and, you know, we've hung in there. A, a lot of our competitors, most of them have gone bankrupt or, or changed uh, what they do, and we've hung in there. And we're, we're now the only small truck in the entire country, which is a pretty good place to be for us. Can we see a photo of that or anything on the Internet right now? Not right at the second, because we uh, actually, this morning, at 8.11 uh, Eastern Time, we were the victim of a massive five-hour-long hack attack, which we lost. Um, Denial of service, or or was it the guys from Target and Walmart? No, we have a virtual private server, so we can, and we've had to get that, because we get so much traffic. We get more traffic on our site than Toyota. It, it slows the server down. We crashed GoDaddy one time. So we had to get our own server. And it's pretty bulletproof. We upgrade the software every year. We have very complex passwords to get in. But uh, somewhere in Paris, a server was running a program that tried to access our website about 2,000 times an hour for almost five hours, a little over four hours. And at 8.11 this morning, it hacked in and deleted our stuff. So we had it all backed up, but it's downtown at a a server that's not online, and I won't be there till 8 o'clock in the morning. So you can't look at it right now, but you will be able to look at it in the morning when I restore it. Hang on, hang on. on. The Wayback Machine actually might have it. Now, uh, do you have the URL you can give out? Uh, Yes, the uh, the website is uh, visionmotorcars.com. Or you can get there by Vision EV, standing for electric vehicle, visionev.net. Either one of those. Or you can do a Google search for 
you know, electric pickup truck or Vision Motor Cars and it'll show up. The, I doubt the website will come up right now because there's no, um, there's no folder. They deleted the entire <laughs> folder. Well, you could get your backup copy up and running from the Wayback Machine uh, since they archive pretty much everything that's on the Internet. Well, uh, I thought about calling the NSA. I'm sure they have a complete record of it, but <laughs> they charge conservatives $199 and liberals $99, and you can't lie to them because they know. Okay. Is it, is it, I'm looking at something that looks like yeah, I, 96 volts, uh, U.S. drive tech. Uh, looks like a low-speed vehicle based on the small wheels that's on it, or is that a different vehicle I'm looking at? Oh, that's a way different vehicle. Yeah, is it that, be, that, that's older technology, probably. When you say, a, is it going to be the small, a small-sized truck, is there an American or Toyota truck that you can compare it to in size? It is the same size as a Ford Ranger extended cab. Okay. Really? 125-inch wheelbase, 58-inch uh, track, which is the width center on center of the wheels, uh, it will carry 1,000 pounds, 100 miles between charges. It carries an onboard charger, and it will connect to the sidewalk chargers, and it has embedded solar panels. So if you don't find any place to plug it in, just leave it in the sun, and it will recharge itself. Wow. So how, how, long, how long of uh, what's your radius? What's your, how, many mi- how many miles should you get out of a, from, you know, if you're topped off? If you're topped off and it's daylight and it's flat level ground and you're not going to go out there and ro- drive 85 miles an hour, which it will do, but if you're going to go out there and drive an average speed of 45 miles an hour, you could probably go about 160 miles and then it's going to creep to a stop. But 90% of our market, and I'll take that any day of the week, 90% <laughs> of our market doesn't drive any more than 100 miles a day. And not all in Very one true. stretch. Yep, yep. They drive 20 here, 15 there, 18 there, 30 there. And if you plug in for a few minutes in between those runs, you'll get 200 miles a day. And that's plenty for anybody. Yeah, yeah. easily. By the way, everybody, we're listening uh, to Brooks Agnew talking here about his really cool concept of truck, which I think Alan here is going to get his hands on pretty soon as soon as he has a chance. Hold on, hold on. Let me do the evil scientist laugh. <laughs> yes. If yes. You, if you want to call you know, what's in, what's really nice is when you're on the freeway in this truck, you're doing say 60 miles an hour, and you take your foot off the accelerator and you're using nothing. You're just coasting through the wind, and then beautiful. you decide to pass another car. So you hammer down all the torques delivered to the wheels, and you silently split right by a car. I want to have a bumper sticker on the back that says, "You just got passed by a toaster." <laughs> that's better than my bumper sticker we break for nobody but listen if you guys want to call in and ask Brooks anything again the call in number is uh, 786-245-8127 uh, this is of course Skywatchers Radio we're listening to Brooks Agnew and uh, we're talking about his electric vehicle which sounds really really good economic, economically wise uh, for society and uh, Brooks I'm going to put you on the spot here and I'm going to ask yeah, you we're talking about Atlas Shrugged Part 3 as well too yes but I'm going to put you on the spot here because I know this uh, is not alien technology, and I know that there's uh, you know a lot of people who think everything that is alternative energy must come from the aliens. Uh, is anything that you're doing, you know, that you're working on based on anything extraterrestrial? So we can put that myth to bed. 
that's a really good question, and I really <laughs> want to answer it. Let's see. Um, you know, we've been the full gamut on, let's call it charge as you drive technology. Right. And on uh, delivering the power to the wheels, just about anybody can do with two wires and a car battery. It's, I mean, it's been done for a long, long time, over 100 years. Right. But the, the way that you deliver that power can make a big difference on the environment inside the cabin. You know, people get nervous about holding a cell phone against their head. That's about a quarter of a watt. With, let's say, a Chevy Volt, you're strapping a 70-kilowatt three-phase AC motor between your legs. Mm. I don't want to know what the long-term effects of that are. I can no. imagine. But if you drive our vehicle, you are submersed in the most peaceful magnetic field that you can imagine. Now, I, it has its biological effects, which the medical world is talking about all the time now. But we started this a decade ago. And I can tell you, when I first fired up my first 60-kilowatt motor and started putting it under stress in the lab, I laid down my glasses. I was 52 years old. I had my last asthma attack, and I lost 40 pounds. Huh. I am now almost 60, but I don't look it. Huh. I would agree to that based on the photos I'm looking at on Google Images right now. Even though, you know, the NSA, I mean Google, I mean the NSA, I mean Google, uh, yeah, has some or. really <laughs> <laughs> has really good pictures of you when I questioned up, uh, when I questioned it for, Googled it for, um, you know, the electric vehicle. It showed more of you with some mountain scenery in the background than anything else. Um, oh, that was in Tibet. Yeah. Oh. Okay. I do love the picture you have on the on Skype here with the pyramids behind you. By the way. Great oh picture. yeah, I've been to Egypt several times. That's the last time we left. About let's see, we left the Friday before the Arab Spring. I just sent you two pictures so you can see uh, the truck for yourself. Ah, okay. Hang on, I'm um, gonna try and get to that. Oh, I could definitely see Alan driving down the road on this thing. <laughs> Well, it's fast. It, uh, if we tune it correctly, it can deliver a quarter-mile burst of almost 2,000 horsepower. Wow. You know, what's it, it, what's the tow on. capacity? Uh, electric vehicles are not for towing, but we're going to give this a tow bar. You can run a 300-pound tongue weight, and you can pull about 1,000 pounds with it. So a cement mixer or a motorcycle trailer or something like that, you could do just fine. We don't recommend getting out on the freeway with it because the trucks are very lightweight. Right. They're all composite, and uh, uh, you know, for a truck that weighs uh, 2,900 pounds that can haul 1,000 pounds or carry 1,000 pounds, you can imagine the, the suspension technology. It looks like a little indie car underneath it. Please tell me that there's going to be an SUV version or a mom-and-pop, let's shuttle the kids to school version as well, nope. too. Nope. We don't have one on the drawing board, and I don't, don't really plan on one. Um, and the, it's not my plan. It's, uh, it's the government's plan. They, oh. uh, they, you have to understand that there are two organizations <clears throat> in the uh, federal government. One is the EPA, mm -hmm. and the other one is the DOT. 
and they hate electric vehicles. It takes years and years and years to figure out how to get through the web of, of opposition. No, I thought you were going to say web of deceit, but same oh, difference. And all because, again, they want to keep making that money off of uh, oil. Well, of course. I mean, the yeah. oil companies are the fatted calf for the EPA. Uh, they're almost their entire budget comes from money that's fed to them from the oil companies. So back to my question, uh, is any of this technology extraterrestrial in any nature, or is it just <laughs> human ingenuity, which is what I believe? No, it's not. It, I mean, it is human ingenuity because we had to figure out how it's done. Right. Uh, but to the key is to rotate that magnetic field at the right frequency, and that took a long time to figure out. And we have done those frequencies all the way up to 11 million volts, and they're... It's quite amazing how this works. So it is very ET-ish, but doesn't still answer my question if it came from, like, Roswell. If he told no. you, he might have to kill you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly, I think, what it is. Aliens didn't <laughs> hand it to us. Uh... You know, the reason I asked those is because every time... Aliens didn't hand it to you, you got the oh. email. No, but here's the thing. Every, every time you do, uh, you know, you listen to a radio broadcast that deals with this kind of subject, and people are always talking about, well, when the aliens are, you know, they make themselves known, all this technology is just going to flow out of them. Well, if you really look at the technologies on this planet for the last hundred years, I'm pretty sure most of it, if not every single one of the technological advancements that we've had, has been because of human ingenuity. We're very clever as human beings, and we don't give you know ourselves the the nod that we should give ourselves because a lot of it uh, really is us. I really believe there's very little that comes from the aliens, if any. Even though I do believe something happened in Roswell, we we receive information uh, because it flows through the universe. Even right. Stephen Hawking agrees that if a, if a photon gets close to the edge of a black hole, he theorizes that the photon will clone itself and lose half of the clone into the black hole. This was a very famous paper that he wrote. And, you know, we, I wrote papers when I was young and, uh, and his direct colleagues, uh, Dr. Kip Thorne and uh, Fred Allen Wolf and others wrote papers that were eh, less understanding of that. But my paper was, okay, I agree that let's say half the information uh, near a black hole is going to be lost into that black hole. And you say that it's annihilated, but I, I question that. Because very large black holes do not have a singularity in a single place. The singularity instead obeys a Heisenberg uncertainty, which means it has a probability of a location, but you can't actually identify the location because, after all, this black hole is spinning at its absolute maximum speed. That's right. part of the law. And if that's the case, then that means that photons are being lost from adjacent universes and are being pulled into this universe. Hmm, that's interesting. So as information comes into this universe, it, let's just say, flows over all of us. Some of us have the capability to pick that up in artistic form, and some of us have the ability to pick it up in scientific form or religious form, and some of us are just unaware of it altogether. When I was in Tibet, I managed to get under the Patala, which is in the ancient city of Lhasa in Tibet. Now, Westerners can't go there anymore because the Chinese have shut it off. But And Westerners don't get under the Patala either, and Lord knows how I got under there. They just opened the door and let four of us in. 
But when I got under there, I took a picture of a stupa. A stupa's are all over, you know, Nepal and, and Tibet. And, and they're reported to be by the locals to be the place where Panchen Lamas, which are like Dalai Lamas, except there's more of them, where their bodies are interned so that they can be projected through a kind of stargate mm. into another dimension from which they came. Now, if you look at the stupa, this thing was about 45 feet tall, 10,000 pounds of gold, about uh, 15, 20,000 jewels all over it, and not randomly placed either. The more I examined this, the more I began to scratch my head and go, wait a minute, I have seen this shape before. And when I got back to the U.S., I dug through my archives and I found a picture of one of Tesla's old coils, his big ones. And I overlaid them and they matched perfectly. Now, the stupa was built in the 6th century. Tesla lived in the 19th century when he built his big coils. Right. They built exactly the same thing. One for religious purposes, the other for scientific purposes, and both of them were shaped the same way. One worked with electricity, and I don't even know if the other one worked or not. But the more I compared the photographs, even the electrical bolts that come off of the Tesla coil were stylized in gold and with ribbons and things like that along the outside. I said to myself, these two men who designed these two things a thousand years apart saw exactly the same thing. Hmm. They just built it in different ways. That's interesting. Like, like, well, there, there could be many different reasons for that, but that's a very interesting well, connection. I got, I got to ask the question. Uh, with, when it comes to the stupa, were they jewels? Were they crystals? Um, were Both. they... Both. Okay, because There, there were huh. tourmalines. There were sapphires. There were rubies. There were... Uh, uh, all kind, and the sapphires were carefully arranged, almost like an insulative layer, around what's called the rainbow cocoon, which is where the rainbow body returns to its light source. Okay, the because you know, okay. crystals obviously have some sort of harmonic frequency of some type, but right. I didn't know that other stones like tourmaline and all these others might have uh, resonating properties or have something that'll show up on a Gauss meter or something. They, well, I mean, you're both, you're right on both counts. Harmonics, yes. Resonation, yes. But their, their main uh, quality, if they don't have too many cracks in them, is that they naturally vibrate at a certain frequency. And you can actually pick that frequency up with wire. And that's how crystal radios are built. Uh, <clears throat> and in fact, crystals used to come in radios to make the channels. That, that's how they worked. Now we tune them with, with capacitors and, and digital uh, 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 oscillators now. But in those days, we used crystals. Right. So that's where it came from. And crystals. Let's go back to the Stone Age. I think that's the <laughs> way to go. <laughs> well, some parts of this planet is already very close to the Stone Age, unfortunately yeah. enough. Let's not go into that conversation. You know, yeah, that's not. We're, we're going to bomb them and destroy all their infrastructure back to the stone. Oh, wait, they are in the stone. Yeah, they're already there. Uh, actually, guys, we do have to take a commercial break. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and take a pause real quick. We're going to be back uh, in a couple minutes after we pay a couple bills here on the Dark Matter Radio Network. This is, of course, Skywatchers Radio. We're talking to Brooks Agnew. And if you guys want to call in, please do so, 786-245-8127. You're also listening in on psn-radio.com and TalkStream Live. We'll be right back, hopefully with some more callers. That'd be great. Love that first call. See if first we can get call some more. of the year. Yeah, let's see if we can get 
Comic Book Service, where you can save 40 to 75% off on new comics, collected editions, graphic novels, action figures, statues, and other one-of-a-kind items from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, Boom Studios, Top Cow, Dynamite, and many, many more. Go to www.dcbservice.com for easy ordering and fast delivery. Or you can visit our brick-and-mortar location at 10202-C Coldwater Road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. DCBS, welcome home. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Mental disorders are common in the United States and internationally. An estimate 26.2% of Americans ages 18 and older suffer from some sort of mental illness. Now, this figure translates to 57.7 million people who suffer from some sort of mental breakdown. If you find yourself laying in bed on a Sunday night hearing voices while you're trying to sleep, well, it might not be that demonic being from another dimension trying to kill you where you sleep. It might just be your mental illness starting to kick in so if you're out of meds for the night then i have just the thing come listen to my show the jackal's head you can check out our listen live page only on www.psn-radio.com see you there this ad has been paid for by the jackal's head and the war on terror war it's fantastic Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Do your kids share a bedroom with a sibling? Is dorm room privacy a problem? Introducing Privacy Pop, a new way to create a private and comforting space on your bed. Privacy Pop is a bed tent that fits over twin, twin extra long, full, and queen beds. Privacy Pop is your ticket to seclusion in crowded sleeping quarters. Privacy Pop is the perfect holiday gift for the youngster who likes building forts and cramped college dorm rooms. Log on to privacypop.com and see how this unique sleeping system easily pops out from a small carrying case. Easy to store and simple to set up. Privacypop.com. That's privacypop.com. The perfect holiday gift for your grandchildren or your own kids who want a fun bed fort. Choose their favorite color. See this unique sleeping system now. Act now for a limited time offer. Use promo code RADIO in the checkout cart for free shipping. Log on to privacypop.com. Use promo code RADIO for free shipping. It's been so long, the 
We're back here on Skywatchers Radio. And again, I want to thank everybody who's listening in uh, through Shotcast and uh, who's listening in through Icecast and everywhere else that we are. TalkStream Live, Dark Matter Radio Network, PSN Radio, everybody listening in tonight. And I'm very happy that we got finally the first caller of the year for 2014 right here on the show. And hopefully we get more. So please call in 786-245-8127. We have 20 more minutes here with our guest, Mr. Brooks Agnew. And we're talking about electric cars. We're talking about the hollow earth. We're talking about all kinds of different subjects. And if you want to call in and, and you know drop in your two cents, please, this is the time to do so. Go ahead and do that. Pick up your phones. Pick up your Skype. Get in on the phone here and get in on the show. Uh, now back to what we were talking, bef- talking to uh, you about before we went to break. Uh, the truck. The vehicle that you're working on, the that, you know, my question about, about these kind of technologies, uh, Brooks, is, uh, you know, why is it taking so long for the advancements to come out uh, to make these kind of vehicles more mainstream? Where, it, you know, we could really look at it as a viable option globally. Uh, well, I know the answer to that. Actually, uh, the answer is I was hoping so. Access to capital. Yes. As. Uh, <clears throat> What capital? It's all fiat money anyway. What are we talking about? <laughs> well, yeah, but our suppliers are are not uh, traditional uh, automotive suppliers. Many of our parts come from other industries, mm. uh, NASA and um, you oh, know, process electronics and microcomputers that are not used in cars. And, you know, we're not General Motors. We're not calling you up and saying, uh, we're going to offer you a $60 million contract. And you say, oh, my gosh, let me just run right down to the bank and borrow the money it takes to fill your order. (laughs) Uh, They're not going to do that with the new technology companies like ours. Uh, You have to have cash. Now, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but the United States has the same number of manufacturing jobs as it had in 1978. Now, that is absolutely deplorable. That is. And the reason that it is that way is there are, fewer, there are fewer banks in the United States than there have ever been. Records started being kept in early 1933. Records weren't kept before that. We have fewer banks in the United States now than we had in 1933. We have a lot of branches but you'll notice that the major names have swallowed up all the regional banks. They are Correct. now global yep. banks. So when you go deposit your paycheck in your local Wells Fargo or Chase Bank or a, a Fifth Third Bank, that money is immediately, through little tiny ones and zeros, vacuumed away from your town to a bank in Europe. Yep. And that's where it sits. And all the gold is in just a few locations. Now, we know from history that gold moves from countries that are running a deficit to countries that are running a budget surplus. As far as I know, there's only two countries that are running a budget surplus. One is Iceland, and the other one is China. I don't think the gold is going to Iceland. (laughs) All is peace and tranquility as long as there's a supply of gold. Once the gold runs out, 
out. Yes, then we uh, already know what happens. They well, what's your what's your what's your opinion about uh, people talking about some of the gold that they've been getting back? The bars that they've been getting back are actually tungsten gold plated. That's absolute fact. Bar uh, pallets of gold bars were sent to China, and this was in payment or as collateral for debt. And when the bars arrived, what they do is what's called the audit drill. They take a, a little one sixteenth inch or one eighth inch drill bit and they, they core the bar in right. oh probably thirty millimeters. And they make sure that it's solid gold. And what they found was that the bars were actually tungsten and they were coated with gold. There were many deaths, let's put it that way. Uh and the, this was serial numbered gold that came from our vaults. So that gold is probably counterfeit when it went in there. What a lot of people don't know is that as World War II was ending, and that was a completely designed war by the Soviets who had taken over Washington, D.C., we have all the facts, we have all the documents, we know everything, almost everything that happened in D.C. from 33 to 43. And, so it uh, wasn't the Germans. It, well, the Germans <laughs> were victims, just like Europe, Europe was. It was actually a Soviet war to take over half of Europe, and it succeeded. Huh. Why did it succeed? Because the person in the United States that was running that war made sure that it succeeded. No, it wasn't Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was merely the president. This is the man that worked at his side hmm. while Roosevelt was ailing which he was after his third year of his presidency, and he was elected four times. The presidency was run by a Soviet agent named Harry Hopkins. That is absolute fact, and you can look it up for yourself or read the book called uh, American Betrayal by uh, Diana West. It's absolute fact. So the gold was feared that it was going to be lost to the Soviets. So they moved it out of Germany to underneath the Federal Reserve Building in New York. That's where it's been sitting since 1944. <clears throat> the Germans want it back. There's uh, about 3,000 tons of gold. That's a lot of gold. They want it back, and the bank is refusing to return it. And many are speculating that the gold isn't there anymore. I don't think that's true. I think that uh, the banks have sold that gold in the form of bullion about four or five times over. Probably. They can't yeah. get rid of the gold. They can't give it back. Hmm. It, makes you, it makes you wonder why uh, gold is such an important uh, commodity on this planet. Well, because it's rare, it doesn't corrode, and right. you know when you have a currency model, what you need is something that is rare, solid, and won't waste away, so that you don't end up with a fiat currency. A fiat currency just floats to whatever value right. uh, the money managers want it to go. Everybody knows in the mathematical system of value exchange that there's only value on either end of this deal. There's the sweat that you put into your work here on this end, and then you convert it into this exchange, this contract, this agreement to pay, and you put it on PayPal and you buy something on eBay, which is the value on the other side, right. and they ship that value to your house, and you eat it or wear it or look through it or listen to it. 
That's the value. What the bankers have done is they have twisted the system and they actually believe that the value is the exchange system itself. The value doesn't exist on either end. And that's where they have made their mistake. The mistake is so bad that they had to sell your kids and their grandkids sweat in order to make enough value in that system to make themselves wealthy. And they're fools. It's atrocious as an understatement. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, that type of uh, situation is not one that we're easily going to get out of anytime soon. It will self-destruct. It's self-destructing already. You have to stay out of the way of the falling glass. And that means if you have a 401k or you have money in the bank, get it out. Yes, trust absolutely no bank whatsoever with your with your money. It's funny how you know there was a, a study not long ago that said that they could literally take all the paper money in circulation and you still couldn't pay the debt for this country. You couldn't even pay the interest on it. Exactly. Not that much cash in circulation. It's all ones and zeros. Everybody it's all computerized. Price. Yeah. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Yeah, but when it all scary, falls, scary world. Follow what the billionaires are doing. They're selling their stock. They're moving their cash into liquidity. They're bailing it and they're putting it under their pillow. Now, Brooks, uh, to switch subjects here a little bit, do you think? Because uh, I know you've done a lot of work also on Harp and Harp. Te- you know the, what happens uh, with Harp technology over the last uh, twenty years has been pretty incredible. With the reports that have come out out of that, how much of that do you think is a result? of uh, the, the powers that be trying to control not only the weather, but trying to control society. And is HARP in any way uh, a program that could alter society's mind state on certain things? Well, the answer is yes to all that. It's been 17 years since we made the first uh, 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 documentary called Holes in Heaven, which was uh, produced by uh, Diane Robbins and, and directed by Wendy Robbins. And in that video, there were several different expertises. Mine was in the, in the calculations for what we call the ionospheric breakdown and for Earth tomography, which is using right. this uh, radio technology to look inside the Earth. And um, doctors uh, Flanagan and Begich worked on the mind control uh, aspects of the frequencies and brain entrainment. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of them are true. And then Dr. Bernard Eastland, who's the guy that actually filed the original seven patents, uh, worked on the weather control. Now, Bernard died, and uh, I picked up a little bit of his work, and I built two models. One was for the History Channel, and we ran it again on um, on uh, conspiracy theories with uh, Jesse Ventura. Mm-hmm. And that, that worked really well. It was a little one about 12 inches across, and it worked really well on TV. And then uh, uh, History Channel had us do another one, a big one, a 64-cubic-foot one, which we did last summer. And uh, we ran it on uh, Joe Rogan Questions Everything. And I have no good comments about Joe Rogan, so I'm not going to say anything about that. But, <laughs> but the, the <laughs> He really does question everything, though, Joe Rogan. The chamber worked <laughs> awesome. And uh, in there, we showed how HARP... Uh, not only supercharges water molecules and clouds, but how it creates a, a a way to move or push the ionosphere out into space. Now, when you do that, you do two things. First, you create this nice big parabolic mirror right. off of which you can bounce radio waves, but you create a void which pulls the stratosphere around to fill that void, which allows you to steer weather. 
And it is a, uh, it's a powerful ability of HARP. It is proven to work. I did it on a scale model, and then we've actually seen it work in real life. And uh, that's not the only HARP. There are a couple dozen of these things around the planet. Now, okay, so the- I got, I got to ask a question. Here. Go ahead. Um, did HARP or Tesla technology cause the Tunguska event? Ooh, good question. Uh, Impossible to answer, probably. But there are. Some, <laughs> this is supposed to be a weapon system, and right. it is, and it's it's run uh, by a very secretive organization. Started out to be the Navy, and it was taken away from them, and now it's run by uh, its own organization. I don't even know the name of it. It's that secret, uh, but it has some telltale fingerprints, which um, some of the observers are beginning to see. Ham operators are picking up the signals that are the carrier frequency that, that carry the harp signal. They've learned to tune to it, and uh, they can pick it up and tell when it fires off. Every time there's a big event, like uh, the one in Haiti or the Fukushima quake or others, we contact the ham network and ask them, was there a harp signature? Most of the time, there is a harp signature. Now, the other telltale effect, and this shows up more in low light than it does direct light, but it is a lavender kind of hue that appears in the sky above the area. The Haiti quake and the one in South America both showed up as, uh, as the, uh, the lavender sky. Uh, the day that Fukushima happened, I watched the quake on the films and I, what I saw was about a 5.9 quake. I was blown away when they said it was like a 9.2. I said, look, I am not a geophysicist. I'm not a geologist. But that wasn't even a 7, barely a 6, if that. There was no busted concrete, no broken windows, no cracked walls. Even the monuments in the park didn't fall over. It didn't even rearrange cars in the parking lot. No way that thing was a 9. And yet here comes this tsunami. So it was just strange. And then I looked at the explosion at reactor number four. And I do know something about nuclear physics because that's my degree, nuclear chemistry. And I toured the (laughs) Fukushima plant myself. Before or after? No, in 2002 when it was operating. 14-foot thick reinforced concrete will absolutely contain a hydrogen explosion. And there's no way that explosion that showed up on TV was a hydrogen explosion. It doesn't look like that. It doesn't have that kind of force. It's not that powerful. That was a bomb. Hmm. All I'm going to have to say to you on that one is, uh, as everybody else says, prove it wasn't what the media says. Thank you, controlled (laughs) media. I am a zombie. I will listen and absorb everything that I see on TV and take it as a 100% fact on mainstream media. Yay, all my mainstream media. Everybody who knows anything about chemistry knows that hydrogen will recombine with oxygen in a nice, loud boom. Right. But the concussion is only about 4,200 meters a second. That's it. That's all you're going to get out of it. Dynamite is about 5,500 meters a second. That explosion was way faster than that, probably 6,200 meters per second. It was a bomb. Interesting. Now, but as far- who did it? 
That well, that's uh, another question altogether. I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's a question anybody can answer. Really. Follow the money. Yeah, just got to follow the money. But what Brooks, money? There's no such thing as it's all fee. It's all <laughs> printed. Give me hey. a good photocopier, and I'll show you money. There you go. All ones and zeros. But the, the, where I was actually uh, trying to go with on the the harp question was uh, if there, you know, there is obviously some weather modification uh, capabilities to it, but uh, it, mind control is really uh, the thing that I was trying to get at. Do you think it could be used literally for mind control and to kind of like fool the masses into believing any little any little thing that they want to make us believe? Well, for two months in, in the in the latter part of the buildup to the first Gulf War, mm. we irradiated the southern deserts of Iraq solid for thirty days. That's true. Yeah, they did. When and they shut it off. When yep. the tanks rolled in, there was no resistance. Everybody. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. I gotta ask. You said we irradiated. Yes. We irradiated it, irradiated it for how long? Almost thirty days. Okay, and what do we use to do that and then shut Harp. it off? We directed HARP at that mm-hmm. region for 30 days. I've heard this report before, yeah. And it kept the people in those mm-hmm. bunkers and on guard around there from sleeping. It gave them anxiety. It gave them nervousness. It, uh, it gave them uh, uh, physiological problems like uncontrollable diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they could not bodily function and they couldn't get it out of their minds and they didn't know why and when the tanks rolled in they just came out sat on the ground and put their hands on their heads now um, that's on a war scale there could be obviously reasons why that happened uh that has nothing to do with heart but do you think that type of technology could be used here in the, in the states to you know modify the way that people are thinking about government or uh, you know, certain things that we think of uh, when it comes to our politicians or even the bankers, for example, as we were talking about earlier. Because uh, it really it does seem like uh, society is very anti-government, anti-bankers, anti-everything you know everything right now. Uh, do you think that type of technology will ever be used to kind of sway the public opinion? We already have the weapons technology. We've been using it in Iraq for over 10 years. We have it on the back of trucks. We drive it up to a, an area we want to go in and suppress or clean out. We, tur- we stand behind it, turn it on, it runs in a subsonic region, these, these uh, brainwave ones, and in a few hours, they just go in and clean up the mess. It's non-lethal. They call it, uh, yeah, non-lethal uh, weapons technology, and they feel very uh, justified in doing it because it doesn't kill anybody, but it will make you weak as a cat. Well, I don't look forward to that here in the U.S., hopefully, uh doesn't happen anytime soon. We are almost out of time, though, so we do have to call it a night, unfortunately. Uh, Brooks, thank you so much for being on, on Skywatchers Radio, and we definitely will have you back on real soon. I want to give you a, a minute here to, you know, again, give out your web addresses uh, that you want to, you know, give out on air so everybody can track you down and look up your info. And, again, tell us where you're going to be at. If you're going to do any uh, speaking engagements, uh, please uh, reiterate and let us know exactly where, where you're going to be at so uh, the listeners could check up and follow you. Well, I guess the easiest way, you know, to keep up with publications, speaking events, and that is to go to my uh, Sunday uh, evening radio program, which is called X Squared Radio, and it's at xsquaredradio.com every Sunday, uh, eight to eleven Eastern time. I keep a pretty good calendar of events on there, so you can see where I'm going to be, where I'm going to be signing books, or where the vehicles are going to be. And if you're interested in the vehicles, wait till after 10 a.m. tomorrow when I get the website uh, put back into the folder. <laughs> you heard, Alan? Yeah. 
<laughs> and you can go to either visionmotorcars.com or visionev.net or just look up, uh, you know, plug in electric pickup truck and you'll find us. That's a, uh, uh, man, I'm dying to see the, the actual photos of uh, what this thing would look like. Real well, photos, we'll not be the at artwork. The, uh, North American Fleet Association trade show in Minneapolis in April. Do you anytime... need someone to help? <laughs> well, I'll talk to you about that. Yeah, uh... out here. Any, any, <laughs> anytime you're going to be down here in Florida, Miami. Uh, I'll be down there next week. I'm, I'm meeting with the oh. city of uh, Orlando on the 20th. We'll be in Tampa talking to a supplier and then down close to Fort Lauderdale right after that. Oh, very cool. Well, whenever you have any shows down here, I'd love to go and check out the uh, the trucks. Definitely keep in, you know, keep in touch. I absolutely will. Definitely. Uh, guys, we're all out of time. Again, this is Skywatchers Radio. We have uh, only a couple more minutes left. And uh, I want to just, uh, again, thank our guest, Mr. Brooks Agnew. And please check out his website's and uh, follow up with uh, this amazing new electric car, electric truck invention. And uh, hopefully it takes off. You know, we do need an alternative that we can all use. And uh, we can get rid of this oil problem that we have in this country and in this world. It's sad that all the wars are being fought over oil now, huh? Well, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's either well, oil or God. That changes things a little tiny bit. Just a tiny little scratch in the glass, but... It's all we can do in one lifetime. Right. Well, at least now they'll, ha- they'll have to find a different reason to go to war with each other. It won't be over oil or, you know, they'll just go back to the whole God thing. Yeah. Oh, that's right. The guys down at Wars R Us have wars in alphabetical order in envelopes ready to <laughs> Exactly. Uh, Brooks, thanks again. Everybody will be back next Tuesday right here on Skywatchers Radio. Stick around. There's more programming coming on here on the uh, Dark Matter Radio Network and, of course, on psn-radio.com. For my co-host, Alan Weiler, for our guest, Brooks Agnew, good night. You're listening to PSN Radio, the best in talk radio anywhere on the Internet.